0: Chapter Fifteen of Hints to Pilgrims. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hints to Pilgrims by Charles Stephen Brooks. Chapter Fifteen A Chapter for Children. Once upon a time, for this is the way a story should begin. There lived in a remote part of the world a family of children, whose father was busy all day making war against his enemies, and so, as their mother also was busy, clubs, my dear, and parties, they were taken care of and had their noses wiped, but in a most kindly way, by an old man who loved them very much. Now this old man had been a jester in his youth, for these were the children of a king, and so, of course... They had a jester, just as you and I, if we were rich, have a cook. He had been paid wages, I don't know how many kaiwatsikis, merely to stand in the dining room and say funny things, and nobody asked him to jump around for the salt or to hurry up the waffles, and he didn't even brush up the crumbs afterward. I do not happen to know the children of any king. There is not a single king living on our street. Yet, except for their clothes, they are much like other children. Of course they wear shinier clothes. It is not the shininess that comes from sliding down the stair rail, but a royal shininess, as though it were always eleven o'clock on Sunday morning and the second bell of the Methodist church were ringing with several deacons on the steps. For if one's father is a king, ambassadors and generals keep dropping in all the time, and queens dressed up in brocades so stiff you can hear them breathe. One day the children have been sliding downhill in the snow, on flexible flyers painted red, and their mittens and stockings were wet. So the old man felt their feet, tickling their toes, and set them bare-legged in a row in front of the nursery fire. And he told them a story. "'Oh, children of the king,' he began, and with that he wiped their noses all round, for it had been a cold day, when even the best-mannered person snuffle now and then. "'Oh, children of the king,' he began again, and then he stopped to light a taper at the fire, for he was a wise old man, and he knew that when there is excitement in a tale, a light will keep the bogies off. This old man could tell a story so that your eyes opened wider and wider, as they do when Annie brings in ice cream with raspberry sauce. And once in a while, he said "'Odd zooks" and "God a mercy" when he forgot himself. Once upon a time, he began. There lived a king in a far-off country. To get to that country, O children of a king, you would have to turn and turn and spell out every signpost. And then you climb up the sides of seventeen mountains and swim twenty-three streams precisely. Here you wait till dusk. But just before the lamps are lighted, you get down on all fours, if you are a boy girls, I believe, don't have all fours, and crawl under the sofa. Keep straight on for an hour or so with the coal scuttle three points starboard, but be careful not to let your knees touch the carpet, for that wears holes in them and spoils the magic. Then get nurse to pull you out by the hind legs, and there you are. "'Once upon a time, then,' There lived a king with a ferocious moustache and a great sword which rattled when he walked around the house. He made scratches all over the piano legs, but no one felt like giving him a paddywhack. This king had a pretty daughter. Now it is a sad fact that there was a war going on. It was between this king, who had the pretty daughter, and another king who lived nearby, on an adjoining farm, so to speak. And the first king had sworn by his halidome, and at this his court turned pale, that he would take his enemy by his blasted nose. Both of these kings lived in castles whose walls were thick and whose towers were high, and around their tops were curious indentings that looked as your teeth would look if every other one were pulled. These castles had moats with lily pads and green water in them, which was not at all healthful, except that persons in those days did not know about it and were consequently just as well off and there were jousting fields and soup cauldrons with a barrel of animal crackers and a ton of lemonade six glasses to a lemon everything to make life comfortable here's a secret the other king who lived nearby was in love with the first king's daughter here are two kings fighting each other and one of them is in love with the other's daughter but not saying a word about it. Now the second king, the one in love, was not very fierce, and his name was King Muffin, which suggests pleasant thoughts, whereas the first king with the beautiful daughter was called King Odd Zooks, the sixth, for he was the sixth of his powerful line. And my story is to show how King Muffin got the better of King Zooks and married his daughter. It was a clever piece of business, for the walls of the castle were high, and the window of the princess was way above the trees. King Muffin didn't even know which her window was, for it did not have any lace curtains, and it looked no better than the cook's, except that the cook sometimes on Monday tied her stockings to the curtain cord to dry. And, of course, if King Muffin had come openly to the castle, the guards would have cut him all to bits. One day in June... King Muffin was out on horseback. He had left his crown at home and was wearing his third best clothes, so you would have thought that he was just an ordinary man. But he was a good horseman, that is, he wasn't thinking every minute about falling off, but sat loosely, as one might sit in a rocking chair. The country was beautiful and green, and in the sky there were puffy clouds that looked the way a popover looks before it turns brown. A big popover that would stuff even a hungry giant up to his ears. And there was a wind that wiggled everything, and the noise of a brook among the trees. Also there were birds, but you must not ask me their names, for I am not good at birds. King Muffin, although he was a brave man, loved a pleasant day. So he turned back his collar at the throat in order that the wind might tickle his neck and he dropped his reins on the horse's back in a careless way that wouldn't be possible on a street where there were trolley-cars. In this fashion he rode on for several miles, and sang to himself a great many songs. Sometimes he knew the words, and sometimes he said, tum tum ti tum tum but he kept to the tune. King Muffin enjoyed his ride so much that before he knew it he was out of his own kingdom, and at least six parasangs in the kingdom of King Zooks. My dear, use your handkerchief. And even then, King Muffin would not have realized it, except that on turning a corner, he saw a young man lying under a tree in a suit that was half green and half yellow. King Muffin knew him at once to be a jester. But whose? King Zook's jester, of course, his mortal enemy. For jesters have to go off by themselves once in a while to think up new jokes. And no other king lived within riding distance. Really, the jester was thinking of rhymes to zithern, which is the name of the curious musical instrument he carried, and is a little like a mandolin, only harder to play. It cannot be learned in twelve easy lessons. And the jester was making a sorry business of it, for it is a difficult word to find rhymes to, as you would know if you tried. He was terribly woeful. King Muffin said, Whoa! and stopped his horse. Then he said, Good morning, fellow! in the kind of superior tone that kings use. The jester got off the ground, and, as he did not know that Muffin was a king, he sneezed, for the ground was damp. It was a slow sneeze in coming, for the ground was not very wet, and he stood waiting for it with his mouth open and his eyes squinting. So King Muffin waited too, and had a moment to think. And as kings think very fast, very many thoughts came to him. So by the time the sneeze had gone off like a shower bath, and before the pipes filled up for another, some interesting things had occurred to him. Well, things about the princess, and how he might get a chance to speak with her. But he said, Ho, ho! Methinks King Zook's jester has the snuffles. At this, Jeppo, for that was the jester's name, looked up with a wry face, for he still kept a sneeze inside him which he couldn't dislodge by my boots and spurs the king cried again you are a woeful jester jeppo was woeful for on this very night king zooks was to give a grand dinner not a simple dinner such as you have at home with annie passing dishes and rattling the pie around the pantry but a dinner for a hundred persons generals and ambassadors all dressed in lace and eating from gold plates and of course every one would look to jeppo for something funny or maybe a new song with twenty verses and a roll a roll a roll chorus, which everyone could sing even if they didn't know the words. And Jeppo didn't know a single new thing. He had tried to write something, but had stuck while trying to think of a rhyme for zithern. So, of course, he was woeful, and King Muffin knew it. All this while King Muffin was thinking hard, although he didn't scowl once, for some people can think without scowling. He wished so much to see the princess, and yet he knew that if he climbed the tallest tree he couldn't reach her window. And even if he found a ladder long enough, as likely as not he would lean it up against the cook's window, not noticing the stockings on the curtain cord. King Muffin should have looked glum. But presently he smiled. "Jeppo," he said, what would you say if I offered to change places with you? Here you are fretting about that song of yours and the dinner only a few hours off. You will be flogged tomorrow, sure, for being so dull tonight. Just change clothes with me and go off and enjoy yourself. Sit in a tavern. Spend these kawatskies. Here King Muffin rattled his pocket. I'll take your place. I know a dozen songs and they will tickle your king until, Goodness me, he will cry into his soup. King Muffin didn't really give King Zooks credit for ordinary manners, but then he was his mortal enemy and prejudiced. Well... Jepa was terribly woeful, and that word zithern was bothering him. There was pithern and dithern and mithern. He had tried them all, but none of them seemed to mean anything. So he looked at King Muffin, who sat very straight on his horse, for he wasn't at all afraid of him, though he was a tall horse and had nostrils that got bigger and littler all the time, and back legs that twitched. Meanwhile, King Muffin twirled a gold chain in his fingers. Then Jeppo looked at King Muffin's clothes, and saw that they were fashionable. Then he looked at his hat, and there was a yellow feather in it. And those kaiwatskis. King Muffin, just to tease him, twirled his moustache, as kings will. So the bargain was made. There was a thicket near, so dense that it would have done for taking off your clothes when you go swimming. In this thicket King Muffin and Jeppo exchanged clothes. Uh, of course Jeppo had trouble with the buttons for he had never dressed in such fine clothes before and many of the king's buttons are behind and now when the exchange was made zeppo inquired where he would find an expensive tavern with brass pole-handles on the lemonade vat and he rode off licking his lips and jingling his kiwatskis. but king muffin dressed as a jester bolted on his horse and trotted in the direction of king zook's castle "'which had indentings around the top like a row of teeth if every other one were pulled. "'And after a little while it became night. "'It is my private opinion, my dear, which I shall whisper in the middle of your ear, "'the outer flap being merely ornamental and for inspection purposes, "'that the sun is afraid of the dark, because you never see him around after nightfall.' Bless you, he goes off to bed before twilight and tucks himself to the chin before you or I would even think of lighting a candle. And, on my word, he prefers to sleep in the basement. He goes down the back stairs and cuddles behind the furnace. And he has the bad habit, mercy, of reading in bed. A good half hour after he should be sound asleep, you can see the reflection of his candle on the evening clouds. At this point... The old man paused a bit to see if the children were still awake. Then he wiped at their noses all around, not forgetting the youngest with the fat legs, and began again. During all this time, King Zooks had been getting ready for the party, trying on shiny coats and getting his silk stockings so that the seams at the back went straight up and didn't wind round, which is the way they naturally do unless you are particular and he put a clean handkerchief into every pocket in case he sneezed in a hurry. For King Zooks was a lavish dresser. His wife was dressing in another room, keeping three maids busy with safety pins and powder puffs, and getting all the snarls out of her hair. And, in still another room of the castle, his daughter was dressing. Now his wife was a nice-looking woman, like Nurse, except that she wore stiff brocade and didn't jounce. But his daughter was beautiful and didn't need a powder puff when they were all dressed they met outside just to ask questions of one another about handkerchiefs and noses and behind the ears the queen also wanted to be very sure that there wasn't a hole in the heel of her stocking for she wore black stockings which makes it worse king zooks was fond of his wife and fond of his daughter and when he was with them he did not look so fierce he kissed both of them but when he kissed his daughter which was the better fun he took hold of her nose, but in a most kindly way, so that her face wouldn't slip. Then they went down the marble stairs, with flunkies bowing up and down. But how worried King Zooks would have been, if he had known that at that very moment his enemy, King Muffin, was coming into the castle disguised as a jester. Nobody stopped King Muffin, for wandering jesters were common in those days. And now the party started with all its might. "'King Zooks offered his arm to the wife of the ambassador, "'and Queen Zooks offered hers to the general of the army. "'There was a fight around the princess, "'but she said, Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, "'catch a nigger by the toe, "'and counted them all out but one. "'And so they went down another marble staircase "'to the dining-room, "'where a band was blowing itself red in the face, "'the trombonist in particular seeming to be in great distress. "'And where was King Muffin?' "'King Muffin came in by the pulstern, uh, "'the back stoop, my dear.' AND HE WASHED HIS HANDS AND EARS AT THE KITCHEN SINK AND WENT RIGHT UP TO THE DINING ROOM. AND THERE HE WAS, STANDING BEHIND THE KING'S CHAIR, WHERE KING ZOOKS COULDN'T SEE HIM, BUT THE PRINCESS COULD. YOU CAN SEE FROM THIS WHAT A CRAFTY PERSON KING MUFFIN WAS. Queen ZOOKS, TO BE SURE, COULD SEE HIM, BUT SHE WAS AN UNSUSPICIOUS PERSON AND WAS VERY HUNGRY. THERE WERE WAFFLES FOR DINNER, AND WHEN THERE WERE WAFFLES, SHE DIDN'T EVEN TALK VERY MUCH. KING MUFFIN WAS VERY FUNNY. He told jokes which were old in his own castle, but were new to King Zooks. And King Zooks, thinking it was a real juster, laughed until he cried. Only his tears did not get into his soup, for by that time the soup had been cleared away. A few of them, however, just a splatter, did fall on his fish, but it didn't matter as it was salt fish anyway. But all the guests, inasmuch as they were eating away from home, had to be more particular, and when the roll-to-roll-roll choruses came... How King Zooks sang, throwing back his head and forgetting all about his ferocious mustache. No one enjoyed the fun more than King Muffin. Whenever things quieted down a bit, he said something even funnier than the last. But during all this time it had not occurred to King Zooks to inquire for Zeppo, or to ask why a new fool stood behind his chair. He just laughed and nudged the wife of the ambassador with his elbow, and ate his waffles, and enjoyed himself so the dinner grew merrier and merrier until at last everyone had had enough to eat. They would have pushed back a little from the table to be more comfortable in front, except for their manners. King Zooks was the last to finish, for the dinner ended with ice cream, and he was fond of it. He didn't have it ordinary days. In fact, he was so eager to get the last bit that he scraped his spoon round and round upon the dish until Queen Zooks was ashamed of him. When, finally, he was all through, the guests folded their napkins and pushed back their chairs until you never heard such a squeak a few of them but these had never been out to dinner before had spilled crumbs in their laps and had to brush them off and now there was a dance so king zooks offered his arm to the wife of the ambassador and queen zooks offered hers to the general of the army and they started up the marble stairway to the ballroom But what should King Muffin do but skip up to the princess while she was still smoothing out her skirts? Yellow organ, dear, my dear, and it musses when you sit upon it. Muffin made a low bow and kissed her hand. Then he asked her for the first dance. It was so preposterous that a jester should ask her to dance at all that everyone said it was the funniest thing he had done, and they went into a gale about it on the marble staircase. Even Queen Zooks, who ordinarily didn't laugh much at jokes, threw back her head and laughed quite loud, but in a minute when everybody else was done. And then, to everyone's surprise, the princess consented to dance with King Muffin, although the general of the army stood by in a kind of empty fashion. But everybody was so merry, and in particular King Zooks, that no one minded. King Muffin, when he danced with the princess, looked at her very hard and softly, and she looked back at him as if she didn't mind it a bit, evidently she knew him despite his disguise and naturally she knew that he was in love with her now king muffin hadn't had a thing to eat for jesters are supposed to eat at a little table afterwards if they ate at the big table they would forget and sing sometimes with their mouths full and you know how that would sound so he and the princess went downstairs to the pantry where he ate seven cream puffs and three floating islands one after the other never spilling a bit on his blouse He called them Floaten Islands, having learned it that way as a child, his nurse not correcting him. Then he felt better, and they returned to the ballroom, where the dance was still going on with all its might. King Muffin took the princess out on the balcony, which was the place where young gentlemen, even in those days, took ladies when they had something particular to say. He shut the door carefully, and looked all around to make sure there were no spies about, under the chairs, inside the vases. He even wiggled the rug for fear that there might be a trap door beneath. Did the princess love King Muffin? Of course she did, but she wasn't going to let him know it all at once. Ladies never do things like that. So she looked indifferent, as though she might yawn at any moment. Despite that, King Muffin told her what was on his mind, and when he was finished, he looked for an answer. But she didn't say anything. "'but just sat quiet and pretended there was a button off her dress. "'So King Muffin told it again and moved up a bit. "'And this time her head nodded ever so little. "'But he saw it. "'So he reached down in his side pocket, "'so far that he had to straighten out his leg to get to the bottom. "'He brought up a ring. "'Then he slipped it on her finger, "'the next to the longest one in her left hand. "'After that he kissed her in a most affectionate way. "'This was all very well,' But, of course, King Zooks would never consent to their marriage. And if he discovered that the new jester were King Muffin, his guards would cut him all to slivers. For a minute they were woeful. Then a bright idea came to King Muffin. Meanwhile the dance had been going on with all its might. First the general of the army danced with Queen Zooks. He was a very manly dancer and quite stiff from the waist up, and she bounced about on tiptoe. Then the ambassador danced with her, but his sword kept getting in her way. Then both of them, having done their duty, looked around for the princess. They went to the lemonade room, for that was the first place, naturally, to look. Then they went to the card room, where the older persons were playing casino, and were sitting very solemn, as if it were not a party at all. Then they went to King Zooks, who was jiggling on his toes, with his back to the fire, full and happy. "'Where is your daughter, Majestical Majesty?' they asked. "'But as King Zooks didn't know, he joined the search, and Queen Zooks too. "'But she wasn't much good at it, for she had a long train and she couldn't turn a corner sharp, "'although her maids trotted after her and whispered about as fast as possible. "'But they couldn't find the princess anywhere inside the castle. "'After a while it occurred to King Zooks that the cook might know.' She had gone to bed, leaving her dishes until morning, so up they climbed. She answered from under the covers, What do you want? Which shows that she didn't talk English and was probably a Spanish cook or an Indian princess captured very young. So she got up all excited. My, how she scuffed around, looking for her slippers, trying to find her clothes and getting one or two things on wrong side out. She was so confused that she thought it was morning and brushed her teeth by this time an hour had passed and king zooks was fidgety he told his red-faced band to lean their trombones and other things up against the wall so that he could think then he stroked his chin while the court stood by and tried to think also finally the king sent a herald to proclaim around the castle how fidgety he was and that his daughter must be brought to him but the princess was not found meantime the band ate ice cream and coconut macaroons and appeared to enjoy itself IN A TALL TOWER THAT STANDS HIGH ABOVE THE TREES THERE WAS A GREAT CLOCK, AND, BY AND BY, IT BEGAN TO STRIKE THE HOUR. IT DID NOT STOP UNTIL IT HAD STRUCK TEN TIMES. SO, YOU SEE, IT WAS GROWING LATE, AND THE KING HAD THE RIGHT TO BE GETTING FIDGETY. WHEN THE CLOCK HAD DONE, THOSE GUESTS WHO WERE NOT IN THE HABIT OF SITTING UP SO LATE BEGAN TO GROW SLEEPY. ONLY, OF COURSE, THEY DID NOT YAWN OUT LOUD, BUT BEHIND FANS AND THINGS. MEANWHILE, KING MUFFIN HAD GONE DOWNSTAIRS TO THE STABLE. He brought out his horse with the flaring nostrils and another horse also. He took them around to the princess, who sat waiting for him on a marble bench in the shadow of a tree. Climb up, beautiful princess, he said. She hopped into her saddle, and he into his. They were off like the wind. They heard the clock strike ten, and they saw the great tower rising above the castle with a silver moon upon it, but they galloped on and on. Through the forest they galloped over bridges and streams and the moon climbed off the tower and kept with them as it does with all good folk plunging through the clouds like a ship upon the ocean and still they galloped on presently they met jeppo returning from the tavern with the brass pole handles yo ho called out the king and they passed him in a flash clackety clackety clack clackety clackety clack clackety clack clackety clack and peasants who usually slept right through the night awoke at the sound of their hooves and although they were very sleepy They ran and looked out their windows, being careful to put on slippers so as not to get the snuffles, and King Muffin and the princess galloped by with the moonlight upon them, and the peasants wondered who they were. But as they were very sleepy, presently they went back to bed without finding out. One of them did, however, stumble against a chair, right on the toe, and had to light a candle to see if it was worth mending. But in the morning the peasants found a bauble near the lodge-post, a cap and bells on the ravine bridge and on the long road to the border of king muffin's land they found a jester's coat and to this day although many years have passed their children and their children's children on the way from school gather the lilies of the valley which flourish in the woods and along the roads and they think that they are jester's bells which were scattered in the flight whereupon the old man having finished his story wiped the noses of the children not forgetting the youngest one with the fat legs And sent them off to bed. End of chapter fifteen. Recording by Todd.